Welcome to the Crossview Church Message of the Week. We hope you enjoy the message this morning. For more information, visit us at mycrossview.com. Well, good morning, Crossview Church. Welcome to church this morning. Well, last week in our Where Jesus Walked series, we found ourselves at one of the most famous walls in the world. We went to what was called the Western Wall or the Wailing Wall. We began to ask ourselves about walls and barriers that uh, we have in our lives, maybe of our own making, that keep us from experiencing all that God has for us. We briefly talked about how Jesus broke through the barrier of sin, allowing us all into his presence, into this, with this invitation to brand new life with God. We looked at a few scriptures in Hebrews that compare the old sacrificial system and what Jesus did for all of us. Well, this morning, we're going to revisit one of the passages that we looked at last week, but we're going to take a little bit more in-depth look at it, and we're going to look at it uh, from a, a bit of a different perspective. And the passage that we're going to revisit is from Hebrews chapter 13, verse 11 through 24, and it goes like this. Under the old system, the high priest brought the blood of animals into the holy place as a sacrifice for sin, and the bodies of the animals were burned outside the camp. So also Jesus suffered and died outside the city gates to make his people holy by means of his own blood. So let us go out to him outside the camp and bear the disgrace that he bore. For this world is not our permanent home and we are looking forward to a home yet to come. Now, uh, for our time together this morning, we're going we're gonna to talk together about what it means for us to follow Jesus outside the camp, as this text puts it. Or another way, maybe, that we can think about it, outside the walls. We were talking about walls last week. Literally, outside the walls of Jerusalem. We're going to follow Jesus outside the city walls. For us, maybe we can, the question that we can ask is, what does it mean for us to follow Jesus outside the walls of our church? Into the lives of people around us. Maybe to use a more churchy concept so that we can kind of understand this a bit better. We want to be a church that uh, maybe you've heard this before, uh, whether it be here or somewhere else. But we want to be a church that's on mission. That is that we want to be a church participating in the activity that God has uh, for our neighborhood, our community, and our world. That we get to be participants in what God's plans are for this area. And we want to be partnering with Jesus to do that. That's what that means, to be on mission, to go outside the walls, to follow Jesus in that way. We have a role to play in the kingdom of God. We have a job to do. And as followers of Jesus, we are part of God's family. And we play a part in the larger plan to spread the good news of Jesus to everyone. We here at Crossview, we want to help people find and follow Jesus. That's who we are. That's, our, that's our, uh, a very clear statement that we say often around here. That's what we do is we want to help people find and follow Jesus. And part of today is recognizing that participating in God's activity, the way that he wants us to, is not always easy or even comfortable. So I tried to form a question that can guide our thoughts this morning. We might ask ourselves something like this. Will we retreat from the mission that God, uh, of God when things get difficult? Or will we be willing to risk our comfort to participate with God? Where he's going and where he's called us to. 
we recognize that at times, following Jesus can lead us to places that are not easy or comfortable. And when things get tough, when things get difficult, we have a tendency to run the other direction. We don't like to be uncomfortable. (laughs) I'd like to give you two examples from scripture, uh, following by a contrasting example from the life of Jesus, which will hopefully, hopefully leave us inspired to follow Jesus' example, to follow Jesus outside the camp, what he has called us to, even if it's difficult or even if it's uncomfortable for us to do so. So bear with me. We will get back to the Hebrews passage. But first let me turn uh, to Numbers 13. I want to set this up a little bit. But here in Numbers, we enter the Exodus story. Uh, And at this point, Moses had already led the people uh, out of Egypt. They'd been delivered from the Egyptians, saved from the slavery that they, uh, uh, where they had been, been for so long and they stand here as we enter the story they stand here at the edge of the promised land ready just about ready to go into that land so Moses takes 12 spies maybe you know this story you recognize he takes 12 spies and he says go into the land of Canaan uh, the land that the promised land that God has promised to give us and check things out then come back and give us a report so they go they come back and two of the, of the spies, Joshua and Caleb, say, this land is great. There's going to be some significant challenges going forward, but we need to go. And with God's help, we can do it. <clears throat> However, the other ten, as you probably know, say something very, very different. Look at Numbers 13, starting in verse 31. It says this. But the other men who had explored the land with them disagreed. We can't go up against them. They are stronger than we are. So they spread this bad report about the land among the Israelites. The land we traveled through and explored will devour anyone who goes there. And all the people we saw were huge. Uh, We even saw giants there, the descendants of Anak. Next to them, we felt like grasshoppers. (laughs) And that's what they thought too. Number, just a few verses later in uh, Numbers 14, 1 through 4. Then the whole community began weeping aloud and they cried all night. Their voices rose in a great course of protest against Moses and Aaron. If only we had died in Egypt or even here in the wilderness, they complained. Why is the Lord taking us to this country only to have us die in battle? Our wives and our little ones will be carried off as plunder. Wouldn't it have been better for us to return to Egypt? Then they plotted among themselves, let's choose a new leader and go back to Egypt. Wow. Now, I'm I'm guessing many of you know this story, but, and you know that eventually they do get to the promised land, but not after, but it takes them about 40 years after this point. God had a promised land given to them, and there were going to be challenges, but it was difficult and uncomfortable, and they were fearful, and so they wanted to turn back. Here on the edge of everything that God had promised them, uh, it meant a challenge, some hardship, and it was certainly uncomfortable. Not only that, but God had demonstrated his faithfulness to them time and time again in the desert. There's no getting around that sometimes following God's plan is hard. And because of their fear, they chose to retreat, not just retreat, but they wanted to find a new leader who would take them back to what little comfort they had in Egypt as slaves. 
Moses and Aaron prayed for God's forgiveness and he was gracious and forgave them. But God ended up sending his people to the wilderness, like I said, for 40 years because they consistently refused to listen to the voice of God and obey his direction. They chose their own comfort and retreated from the mission that God had for them. Now the story ends with God's rescue and I love it. All, most of the time, this is what happens with God. He rescues, he redeems, and he renews. God's really, really good at that. How about another example from the Old Testament in 1 Samuel 8? Uh, this is later in the story and God's people are now in the promised land and all these different nations around them have kings. And uh, in fact, it's one of, the, one of the ways that different people groups display their power and highlight their gods by the kings that they follow. And so God had set it up for the Israelites that he was going to be the king of his people. They don't need an earthly king. They were to look very different, operate very different from the nations around them. He was going to be their king, showing off to all other people, the nation of Israel, uh, set apart for his glory. But look at what happens starting in, in uh, 1 Samuel 8 verses 4 through 9. It says this. Finally, all the leaders of Israel met at Ramah uh, to discuss a matter with Samuel. Look, they told him, you are now old and your sons are not like you. Give us a king to judge us like all the other nations have. Samuel was displeased uh, with their request and he went to the Lord for guidance. Do everything they say to you, the Lord replied, for they are rejecting me, not you. They don't want me to be their king any longer. Ever since I brought them out of Egypt, they have continually abandoned me and followed other gods. And now they are giving you the same treatment. Do as they ask, but solemnly warn, warn them about uh, the way that a king will reign over them. So uh, Samuel does exactly that. And then we come to the end of that chapter in verse 19 and it says this. But the people refused to listen to Samuel's warning. Even so, even so, we still want a king, they said. We want to be like the nations around us. Our king will judge us and lead us into battle. So Samuel repeated to the Lord what the people had said. And the Lord replied, do as they say and give them a king. Then Samuel agreed and sent the people home. See, God had a very different plan for his people. He wanted them to look very different. And it was uncomfortable and it was difficult. And they wanted a king. They turned away from the plan that God had for them. And it wasn't easy. It wasn't comfortable to be different. We want a king like all the other nations. So God lets them have a king, hands them over to that, those king's judgment. And, and uh, as, as we all know, it did not go well for Israel, uh, for the kings of Israel throughout the Old Testament. I think there's only about two kings that get a passing grade from God in Scripture. So I know that following Jesus and God's plan for us, for, for your life, for my life, for the life of our church, and what God has for us can be hard. It can be uncomfortable, especially compared to the way of the world around us. When Jesus leads the way, he gives us what we need. We were made to follow God and his way. And when we do, not only does he provide things like salvation and purpose and a deep sense of his love, but we can thrive even, in, even when we step into something difficult or uncomfortable. Here's a key to having success following Jesus' way when in, uh, when in difficulty or when things might be uncomfortable. We find success in following Jesus 
in the long-term perspective of consistent faithfulness. Eugene Peterson calls it a long obedience in the same direction. I know at times that we will fail following Jesus and his way. But in constantly coming back over and over, we learn that we can trust Jesus through difficulty. That we might be uncomfortable for a time, but that Jesus will always provide a way forward. When we come to this realization, when we experience this, then we can follow Jesus anywhere. (laughs) This last week, I had the privilege of of, uh, being on a Zoom call with some international leaders who minister in a very difficult and dangerous uh, place. Consistent, faithful obedience is key for following Jesus' way and in very difficult circumstances. And I was so inspired by these leaders that I got to talk to this last week. That's my encouragement. Even when things are difficult, time and time again, faithful and consistent obedience to God's way, we learn that Jesus will provide for us. We learn that he will give us what we need, even when he calls us into something difficult or uncomfortable. Now, I want to give us one example from the life of Jesus that will bring us back to our Hebrew passage as we end our time together. I like uh, to take us to a, a, a very difficult night in Jesus' life. We're going to look at this moment from Matthew chapter 27. And at this point, <coughs> where we enter the story with Matthew, Jesus has already been arrested. He's been put on trial by the Jewish authorities, found guilty, and he will be taken to Pilate, the Roman governor of that time, in the morning, it says. So Matthew 27, verse 1 through 2, says this. When morning came, all the chief priests and the elders of the people conferred together against Jesus in order to bring about his death. They bound him and led him away and handed him over to Pilate, the governor. So this passage starts when morning came. (laughs) We know that Jesus was arrested in the Garden of Gethsemane. Uh, The evening before, he was taken to Caiaphas' house, excuse me, (coughs) the high priest, and he was put on trial. So this next chapter starts with the words, early in the morning. So, but where was Jesus kept after he was arrested and, and after he was found guilty in Uh, Caiaphas' house that evening before. Where was Jesus kept the night that he was found guilty at Caiaphas' house? Well, this is where we're going to go back to our our trip to to Israel uh, because we got to hear the story of what's known as the sacred pit. And we were actually, we actually got to go to what was Caiaphas' house And find this place. And I'm highlighting this story because this is an incredible example of Jesus following God's plan in difficulty. Even when it's uncomfortable. Because it leads to our salvation. So I'm going to show you a couple of pictures. Uh, The first one here is Caiaphas' house. This is obviously it's, uh, this is the location, but uh, it's been updated and new buildings have been built on top of it. You can see, but this is the location of where the high priest's house would have been. It's pretty uh, incredible uh, uh, building. 
Every surface was covered with stained glass windows, uh, glittering tiled mosaics, and that sparkled in the, in the sunlight. It was beautiful and hauntingly tragic. A number of the mosaics depicted Jesus bound by the hands uh, by rope centered between uh, the Sanhedrin and, aw- and awaiting the verdict from the trial. And you can see a couple of these from inside Caiaphas's house. So we asked the question, where was Jesus staying that night after he was found guilty and in between uh, the next morning when he was taking, taken to uh, across town to, Pilate's, uh, to Pilate. And one of the things uh, underneath Caiaphas' house, this is underneath Caiaphas' house, what you can see is this, essentially this stone dungeon where they would have carved out uh, spots to hold prisoners after they were found guilty. And this is likely where Jesus was held that night before he was taken to Pilate. They weren't going to just let Jesus go. Uh, In their mind, he was dangerous and they needed to keep him. So this is the entrance to what they call the sacred pit. Uh, it's a small hole, no matter, uh, no bigger than three feet in diameter. And it leads down to just a huge pit that had been carved out of the stone. They would have had to put ropes around Jesus' shoulders and lower him down into the pit. In the pit, you can see these next pictures. You can see up above the entrance and they've carved out down below so you can see through it. There's a stairwell now that you can kind of go down in. And once you get to the bottom of it, you can see the, see how deep it is. That's the, that's the hole they would have um, put Jesus through. And then at the very bottom, you can see it's just a hole in the rock. No lights, no windows, no doors, maybe about 20 feet deep. The only way in or out, like I said, was for the prisoner to be lowered by rope or taken up by rope. It was cold, empty, alone, and Jesus you feel forgotten. And this is where it's believed that Jesus spent the last night of his life before his death. Above the many luxurious rooms, Caiaphas and the others slept soundly, not worrying a moment that they were about to condemn an innocent man to death. But there in the dark, no food, no water, no earthly comfort, Jesus spent the last few hours alone. Talk about uncomfortable. And we got to go down in the pit as a group and we got to read a passage from Psalm 88. And as I read this, I'd like, to, I'd like you to picture Jesus in the pit, following the mission of God that God has for him, following God's plan for him, even when it's uncomfortable and, and difficult. The words of the psalmist speak uh, so clearly of what Jesus may have cried out. Jesus knew the psalm so well, maybe Jesus even Uh, repeated this or recited this in his heart or mind, maybe even out loud. Psalm 88, one through nine says this. Oh Lord, God of my salvation, I cry out to you by day. I come to you at night. Now hear my prayer. Listen to my cry for my life is full of troubles and death draws near. I am as good as dead, like a strong man with no strength left. They have left me among the dead and I lie like a corpse in a grave. I am forgotten, cut off from your care. You have thrown me into the lowest pit, into the deep, darkest depths. Your anger weighs on me. With wave after wave, you have engulfed me. You have driven my friends away and making them repulsive, uh, making me (laughs) repulsive to them. 
I am in a trap with no way to, of escape. My eyes are blinded by tears. Each day I beg for your help, O oh Lord. I lift my hands to your mercy. Wow. Powerful, powerful moment in the life of Jesus. Our Savior gave it all for us. He clearly didn't embrace his comfort. He chose the cross. And I'm so thankful that he did. <laughs> and imagining him here all alone in the dark, just about to face torture and death, not for any other reason than because he loved us and thought that you and I were worth it. I was so moved in this moment on our trip. It made my frustrations and sacrifices look so pale by comparison. And my friend on the, my friend on the drip in a devotion wrote, I was ashamed and I repented. And we, we walked from that place out into the courtyard right outside where it's likely that Peter denied that he even knew Jesus. Peter was afraid and abandoned Jesus. He chose himself over his faithfulness to Jesus. He chose his comfort. <laughs> what may have been a success for him, for Peter, not being arrested, was maybe a failure of consistent faithfulness. But Jesus, rather than retreating and embracing comfort, uh, chose faithfulness to God's mission, literally choosing the cross. And so the question for you and for me is what kind of people do we want to be? What kind of church are we going to be? Are we willing to risk some discomfort to have to navigate difficulty for our role in sharing the hope and the good news that we find in the loving God who wants to give us abundant life? Following his way is not always easy. And a key to following Jesus through all of this is consistent faithfulness despite our circumstances. So back to Hebrews 13, back to our original passage where it talks about following Jesus outside the camp or outside the walls. In the sacrificial system, after they sacrificed the animals, they would take the bodies of those sacrificed animals outside the city walls because for depending on the sacrifice, those, the bodies of those animals were considered unclean after they had been sacrificed. The bodies were. It represented part of the sin of the people. And so if you were holy, uh, you, you, <coughs> if you were holy, you went uh, inside the walls and every, everything that was clean was able to be inside the holiest places and everything that was unclean had to go outside of the walls, outside the city gates. But also outside the city gates, and this is where this passage is so powerful, outside the city gates, not only is what, when they took the animals that were unclean, but the people who were considered unclean, that's where they lived, that's where they worked, that's where they stayed. This is so powerful because Jesus' sacrifice, it says, happened in the midst of those people who were considered to be unclean by the power of his own blood, redeeming those who were outsiders. It's not comfortable that Jesus suffered and died, and it's not comfortable that he did it outside the city walls to redeem and restore everyone that was unclean. And scripture is saying, will you follow Jesus in that way? Jesus suffered and died outside the camp, uh, outside the city walls. There's hope for us all. Hebrews 13, 12 through 14 again. So also Jesus suffered and died outside the city gates to make his people holy by means of his own blood. Incredible. We just walked through, we just walked through Jesus taking these steps forward. 
Not easy, not comfortable. And we're hearing this call to follow him in that same way. The question is, will we? What, where is God calling you this morning? How is he uh, speaking to you this morning? What kind of situations are you to follow Jesus in, in consistent faithfulness, even if it's not easy or difficult? Let's understand that our purpose is to be witnesses to Jesus in this world. In order to do that, we have to be willing to risk our comfort and embrace the cross. We have to follow Jesus literally outside these walls. We have to understand that the measure of success is long obedience in the same direction. Faithfulness to Jesus, even if it means difficulty along the way. Remember, our trials are no match for what was accomplished through Jesus. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, my hope today is that this is uh, inspiring and encouraging. And I know that it's difficult sometimes to follow you, uh, to follow your ways, to live our lives like you have called us to do. But we understand that you strengthen us. You give us what we need. And you have been so faithful for so long. So God, just fill us with your spirit. Give us the, the capacity uh, and the strength and the courage to say yes to your way. And I pray, God, that it will have an effect on the lives of people around us, that people will experience your love, that they'll see hope in our lives uh, and then give their hearts to you. We want to help people find and follow you, Jesus. Help us do that. We love you and we praise you. In your name we pray, amen.